It's the left versus the right in the right corner. It's heavyweight king Curtis Lewa in the left corner. It's Anthony Weiner. It's a 77 WABC debate. Heavyweight slugfest on New York's news and talk station 77 WABC. Good afternoon and welcome to Left vs. Right. My name is Anthony Weiner here on the left. Curtis Slewa on the right will be joining us at the top of the hour. Great program for you today. Thank you very much for welcoming me into your life today for this two-hour period as we have this opportunity to uh, share, to talk things over. It's been a very, very eventful week. If you'd like to get in the queue to join the, the to participate in the conversation, 800-848-9222, 800-848-WABC. Here at 77 WABC Talk Radio. Uh, I don't know if it's a good day or a bad day for radio, but it's a good day for ducks. Uh, we have Diego on the other side of the glass helping us swim through this day. I had this conversation once with uh, Curtis about what's the best weather for radio. And he's told me somewhat conflicting things. He said on one hand, when weather's nice, people are sometimes doing, they're out in their, their cars, which if we can listen to the radio, sometimes they're out doing yard work, things out of doors, and they have their radio with them. But he's also said to me that sometimes dismal rainy weather, we all kind of do what our our parents and grandparents did. We huddle around the radio and have these conversations. And, boy, this has uh, been quite a week. This uh, usually when I sit down and I think about what I'm going to talk about, what issues I'm going to unpack during the, my weekly segments here, and I've been really lucky that John Katzmatidis and Chad Lopez have said, listen, why don't you try out doing an hour at the beginning of the show? Curtis has kind of mentored me. And so I've had an opportunity to go into a little bit deeper into some issues. And sometimes I've gone a little bit far afield. I talked a little bit about the impact of Twitter on our society last week. Got some interesting mail. One woman uh, sent me an email that said the solution to Twitter is to turn it off and listen to the radio. And based on some of the feedback, that's basically what a lot of people were saying, that we're radio listeners. Twitter is not our thing. But I've talked about immigration, talked a little about the Hunter Biden laptop on different shows, talked about the true causes of inflation. But today, the issue of Roe v. Wade and the future of legal abortion in our country is dominating every conversation. We're going to talk a little bit about that as well. Also, when Curtis gets here, we're going to play that game that Curtis likes to play. And I kind of like it, too. Where in the world is Mayor Eric Adams? Where is he this week? Where is he going next week? Um, Curtis also has some interesting news that he has found about the cost of flowers on Mother's Day. And this has always been a thing, right? Flower, the cost of flowers, the cost of chocolate. But this year, as we think about what we want to do for our moms and think about the impact our mothers have had on our lives, I'm going to ask Curtis at what age he put on the Red Beret, what maybe his mom knows. Um, we're also seeing that inflation is having an impact on even the things we get for our moms and our grandmas. And we're also going to touch on something else, an amazing story that that just dropped within the last hour or two in the New York Times about the sexual orientation of a former mayor of the city of New York. We're going to talk about that as well. But obviously the decision that came down, the draft decision, we're going to call it the decision. Um, I think there's no reason to believe that it's not going to be. We're, I'll talk in a moment about the notion that it leaked. But I guess I'm not surprised, but I'm still sort of stunned. I guess that's kind of... Maybe many of us are in that place. I'm not terribly surprised because this is not 
issue not been a secret desire of those on the court, those who are on the court, presidents that have appointed people to the court, that overturning Roe v. Wade, a protected right for 50 years, been on the agenda. I mean, you know, I've heard some commentary, I've heard some on liberal stations in particular, oh my, this is all about Donald Trump. You've got to compl- explain to people that Donald Trump did this. Well, no. I mean, frankly, what made this a supermajority for the uh, for the anti-choice for the people who want to strike down Roe v. Wade, you can go back even way further than that. You can go back to Ronald Reagan. Ronald Reagan had a, a life amendment in the Republican platform when he ran in 1980. H.W. Uh, uh, Walker Bush, in order to be even considered to be the vice president uh, on that ticket, had to reverse his position on choice. So to say that somehow this is something that, you know, Donald Trump did is Democrats are giving everyone too much of a pass and frankly trying to make this entirely about a political question going into the next elections, which no doubt it is. But I still am somewhat stunned, you know, when you realize that unless I'm wrong, and like I said, feel free to, to get in the queue, 800-848-WABC, 800-848-9222. There'll be plenty of time for callers to weigh in on this. But unless I'm wrong, this is the first time the Supreme Court has actually taken away a right. That the Supreme Court time memorial for the history of our country, the history of the court, has been expanding rights of individual citizens, expanding people's rights. This is the first time one's being taken away. I mean, you can argue the right to consume legal alcohol was an example. But okay, I'll I'll stipulate to that. But even that got flipped back pretty quickly. Um, And I also am stunned at just the raw nature of the appeal in the in the the decision that was written by Alito. You know, going out of his way to call people abortionists, you know, like it's very hot language. But then the to hang the entire argument on this notion, and I'm going to quote it here. You've heard it quoted dozens of times this week if you've been listening to talk radio uh, WABC. A right to abortion, I'm quoting from the decision, a right to abortion is not deeply rooted in the nation's, in the nation's history or traditions. That that's the reason that this was overturned. Ladies and gentlemen, my, my dear listeners, every single time a right was added, it was something that was not part of the traditions of our country. Slavery was part of the addition of, of, of our uh, – was tra- part of our traditions. The, the right to intermarry was not part of our deep traditions as a country. The right uh, uh, to, for, for two people who loved each other to marry each other irrespective of their gender was not part of the deep traditions. What does the Supreme Court do? The Supreme Court says it's not part of our deep traditions to, that you know contraception is, 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 is permitted, but we're still going to make sure to have a Supreme Court decision protecting someone's right to purchase. Of course – that the Supreme Court, every single thing, that every right that we added is by definition not part of our rich tradition. It is expanding the country that we are, expanding the rights that we are. There was no tradition of women voting in this country. And of course the Supreme Court and of course amendments to the Constitution, of course what we do is we expand rights via the Constitution. That's what we do. You know, so when people say, you know, is is you know is are we a progressive or conservative country you know i think we make progress by expanding the rights that a lot of conservatives espouse this idea that we have certain rights that are unalienable that are ours that it's not for the government to decide to take away or to add i mean there's the ninth amendment which by the way was at the foundation people talk about how poorly reasoned roe v wade was well the ninth amendment is one of the foundational pillars of roe v wade 
And the Ninth Amendment doesn't get a lot of conversation, but it's a fundamentally very conservative one. And I say that in the kind of the modern political sense. The Ninth, the Ninth Amendment reads, the enumeration in the Constitution of certain rights shall not be construed to deny or disparage others retained by the people. Meaning, just because we wrote some stuff here doesn't mean that the people, human beings, don't have rights that are protected. And so that for so much of this argument to be laid at this notion, well, we've got to follow the traditions of our country. Some of our traditions were great and some of them were not. Some of them said that, listen, you can't vote if you're a woman. You can't, you can own slaves. You can't intermarry. You can't, you can't, uh, uh, you, you can't, if you're a gay man or a lesbian woman, you can't get married. The courts have always said these rights are to the people. This is a constitutional right. Um, and I want to remind everyone of one other thing about the courts. You know, people said, well, the people don't support that. The people don't support that. The courts are not there to be the place that the public opinion is what decides. That's what the legislature is for. The legislature goes out and expresses the will of the people. But it is the courts that protect the minority rights. Said that even if you're the only person on your block that wants to worship – and no one else wants to, you have a right to. You know, it is not a majority rule institution. It's not supposed to be. That's not the way this works. So the idea that this week, or it's not happening this week, it's probably going to happen in June or July when this gets announced formally, that we are now going to have an instance where a right is being taken away. And if you want to talk about a traditional right, um, this has now been on the books for 50 years. So now we have a tradition for two generations or so of this right. And I just want to make it abundantly clear, and I can I welcome your views as well as the listener. The issue of abortion is a very, very difficult one. There are many people who have strongly held beliefs on either side. And I know that my, you know, when when I first saw the first image of my son Jordan, um, you know, in utero, it was a profound, profound moment. This is not really a conversation about how you feel about abortion. This is a conversation about how you feel about the legislatures of our city, of our states, of our country, mostly men, telling individual women certain things about their rights and weighing in on that. Yes, it's a very difficult issue. Yes, there are many strong arguments for saying we don't – you shouldn't – you would rather not have abortions or you shouldn't have them. Um, but this is a completely, in my view, a different issue. This is an issue of where rights of half of our country are – you know, what they are, what, what, what rights they have. Um, and I also want to talk a little bit about like what now. Uh, and let me just, let me just say to, to Diego, I don't have anything on my board right now. Got it? Okay. Super. Um, I see people say, well, what's going to happen now? You know, some people have said, well, all this means is it was sent back to the states. Well, practically speaking, you've heard this now. If you've been listening to this issue, about two dozen states, that means laws have been passed automatically triggering limits or bans on abortion. But um, some states like New York, California, who knows, may have uh, programs to expand their coverage, maybe even to expand the coverage to accommodate women coming from other states. 
But the problem with this decision, this problem with this notion, I mean, I'm going to read you from the Alito decision, quote, that that uh, Roe v. Wade must be overruled, quote, and authority to regulate abortion must return to the people and their elected representatives. I mean, I'm going to put aside that this is from a court that has gutted people's right to vote, but put that aside for a moment. That could mean that a state could not only say we're going to go from 15 weeks viability to complete ban on abortions, but they can also say we're going to prosecute someone for murder who travels across state lines to find an abortion. Why couldn't they do that? According to this decision, they'd be within their rights to do it. By the way, also the decision leaves open um, leaves open the possibility that this same court comes back and bans it outright. You know, says never mind what we said. We are, because remember, there's other decisions that also are tied to the same principle. If you really do believe that the, that um, that a right to abortion should be overturned because it doesn't, it's not deeply rooted in our nation's history or traditions. Where does that leave the recent gay marriage ruling? Where does that need rulings about intermarriage? I mean, now, he Alito refers to it later on in the decision by saying, oh, but this one's different because it means that there's a life, another life at stake. And I, I see that argument. The only problem with that argument is, does that mean using that same argument that, okay, then we can come back and ban this outright in the future because of that same argument. Um, but let me just spend a moment to talk about this obsession that some have had about the leak, the fact that it leaked. First of all, as a consumer of information, do I care that it came out in May, not in June? Do I care that it came out in May, not July? I, don't, I mean, what um, impacts me, what impacts my my the the women that, that are in in my community, what impacts women all over the country, is not when it came out; it's what it says. And uh, you want to have a conspiracy theory about which side leaked it? I mean, to me, the only person that was not clear where they were on this case is Chief Justice Roberts. And does this lock him in or does this move him? Who knows? I'll put that aside for a moment. I'm interested in hearing your thoughts about it, but I just – who cares? But what I think is crazy is suddenly so many people are concerned about breaking with norms. Are you kidding me? A democratically elected president nominates a a justice for the Supreme Court and he is not even given a hearing, let alone a vote, let alone a, a no vote. Suddenly we're concerned about norms. An outgoing president of the United States in January of 2021 doesn't even call the, pre, the, the new occupant to, to, to congratulate them or anything. A man assaults a police officer on the steps of the Capitol on January 6th with a point of a flagpole. And people call that legitimate political discourse. I mean, norms are done. Norms are done. When, when I'm not even going to go into... Presidents of the United States standing with a Russian president and say, I believe the Russian, I don't believe my own security agents. I mean, norms, this whole idea that suddenly we're going to be concerned about norms. I mean, honestly, of all of the things I've heard this week, let's, you know, the leak. All right. It should not have happened. A lot of things, I think, in the, in, in the process. I mean, what about the idea that three members of this president's Supreme Court said to the United States Senate that they have respect for, for precedent and Roe versus Wade is settled law? And then they within six months of change. I mean, don't tell me about norms because norms have been tossed out the window time and time again without these same people objecting. But to be honest with you, the leak will 
part will will depart the stage soon as an issue and we will be stuck with the ramifications of this and it's going to be a lot it's going to be a lot for our country it's going to be a lot for the people that have to deal with these challenges and hopefully it's something for us to talk about and when we come back on the other side the board obviously is all lit up with this 800-848-WABC 77 WABC radio is where we talk about these issues we respect one another and we're going to get through it and the other side of the break we're going to get through it together this is Anthony Weiner, Left versus Right. Thank you for joining us. Talk Radio 77 WABC. It's the left versus the right in the right corner. It's heavyweight king Curtis Lewa in the left corner. It's Anthony Weiner. It's a 77 WABC debate. Heavyweight slugfest. Welcome back to Left versus Right on 77 WABC Talk Radio. My name is Anthony Weiner. Curtis Sliwa is joining us at the top of the hour. Today the conversation is about the draft decision to overturn Roe v. Wade and all that that means. Uh, if you'd like to be part of the conversation, 800-848-WABC, 800-848-9222. Um, and we're going to go to the phones in a minute. When Curtis gets here, we're going to talk a little bit more about this decision. We're also going to talk about an interesting article that landed in the New York Times in the last couple of hours about the sexual orientation of one of our former mayors and all the ramifications that that had. And see if you can figure it out if you haven't already read the story. Also, a few people um, have written and given some great feedback, but let me tell you how you can also join the conversation if you can't call in. Um, my email address is anthonyweiner at AOL.com. Yes, I'm the last person that has an AOL.com address, because you, you can't get Anthony Weiner at anything else because so many people have snapped it up. I have a Twitter account. It's at Rep Wiener, but I don't use it. Um, and I think, I haven't checked my Facebook in a while, but I think it's Anthony D. Wiener is the Facebook page. So feel free to, to weigh in there and those those things. But we're going to take some calls now. Look, I, 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 don't, I don't deny that this is a brutally difficult issue because it's kind of a cross. It's got morality involved. It's got religion involved. It's got history involved. But at the end of the day, my general view, which I think is a conservative one, is that instances where the government should be dictating to half the population something they can and can't do with their body. That doesn't, you know, I, I just think that it's, it's just not, it's, and particularly when I have served in legislatures and turned around and seen overwhelmingly groups of men making these decisions, I just find it to be offensive. And also, it's been a protected right for 50 years in our country. And now to suddenly say that it is a right you're not going to have. That's my position. But part of what's great about this show is what's great about this network and what's great about this forum that we've set up here is that you get to have your say as well. So we're going to get through to some we're going to get to some calls. Let's uh, start out with Adam in Staten Island. Adam, thanks for waiting. I appreciate your input. No problem. Thanks for uh, letting me talk. Um, so I think you just hit the nail on the head uh, a minute ago where you basically said um, when you let the government you know, basically telling half the population what to do with their body. But you also have to remember, and I'm a, I'm a Republican, but I'm pro-choice because um, I think it's your own choice, body autonomy. But you also have the same people who are screaming for people to get vaccinated and forcing it on people and people losing their jobs are now the same people that are complaining that the government is forcing women to not be able to get abortions. It's a double standard. Excellent I think point. pro-choice should be, I think it should be body autonomy, the entire 
you know, you want to drink yourself to death, you want to do drugs, you want to not get vaccinated, you want to get an abortion, you want to do whatever, your body, your choice. I agree with that with everything. And this is what happens when you let the government get involved in making your own health decisions, unfortunately. Listen, that, so, is, a, that is an excellent point, and I'm, I'm ready for it. I'll tell you what I mean. So there's this fundamental thing, and I'm not a lawyer. I was on the Judiciary Committee. That's a story for another show, why they put me on the Judiciary Committee when I wasn't a lawyer. But there's this fundamental adage in politics, I mean, in, in, in uh, law, the rights of my fist end at your nose, meaning, yes, I have perfect rights to wave my fists around and do whatever I want. But at the point that it impacts your rights, meaning your right not to be punched in the nose, that's where my right ends. And the difference with requirements around health is that they do affect someone else. Now, in the decision, Alito goes to great, great pains to point out, but there is another interested party here. It is the party of the unborn person. And the question here is, does an unborn person, and let's put aside when viability is, although because now that's going to be an open question, viability was an attempt by the old court, by previous courts to try to resolve this issue. When does it become an equal right? And what this court has said is that the woman's right to choose is not even, is a secondary right to the unborn child or to a secondary right to, and to, to it could be a conceived person. And that's what the difference between this and say, get whether you need to get, um, whether you need to get a shot so that you don't, so that you, your kid doesn't infect my kid. It's a little bit different, but you are right. I mean, Adam is right that when you start to introduce government into these things, it gets complicated. But in this case, we had a settled decision that at least the women do have a right to make these decisions for themselves, at least up to a certain point. And that was thrown out the window. Uh, next is uh, Bruce in New Jersey. Bruce, thank you for holding on. Wow. Hello, Anthony. Uh, thank you for taking my call. Um, I think I've been on the ballot myself a few times, but I think that what we need middle of the road type thing where um, as the woman, as the months go by, you have increasing penalties for having an abortion. Yes, you want to get the abortion within the first one or two months if possible. And they're, they're, yesterday they're talking about this pill that they've got that the women can take. But when you get to the third month, well, maybe a $500 fine. And then the fourth month, by the time you get to the fifth month, uh, you're going to go to jail. Uh, and now I just had a woman come in here. She says, I, we, she's in the medical profession. She says we can women come in for abortions, and we can tell how many abortions they've had. So these women are using abortion as birth control. We should be promoting contraception. The ideal thing is, hey, if you don't want to have a baby, don't get pregnant. Use contraception. But again, as the months go by, uh, have increasing penalties. Incentivize people to do the right thing thing i mean this could be taught in health class in the high schools and um and so on and so forth yeah i hear you bruce but you know you raise this point but why are we going to ask a legislature and you were on the ballot a few times i was on the ballot a few times a legislature or a court up in a state capital somewhere to make this decision for anyone I mean, look, we're not saying we're going to leave it to your doctor. We're not saying we're going to leave it to your priest. We're not saying we're going to leave it to you, the individual, or your family. We're saying we're going to leave it to a legislature. Why? 
I mean, if there was ever an, an argument, if you're a, a, a conservative to say, listen, let's leave this decision to a person like the ninth, like the Ninth Amendment uh, c- conceived of, then then that's the question is like, why are we struggling to trade the, the very the very struggle that Bruce articulates? And I really appreciate the call of like trying to figure out a way to figure this out is the problem. The problem, and and to some degree, Alito nods to this. Like he says, "Look, this this argument about viability was doomed from the beginning. Maybe so, maybe so. But it was to some degree at least working as a function of a balance that was trying to be struck." Um, I think maybe Steve in Naples disagrees. Steve, thank you for holding on. Sorry to keep you on hold so long. Uh, there's no inalienable right to take a life in the Constitution. There's a statutory right to take a life if your life is in danger. But, you know, it is a difficult issue, Anthony, and as someone like you who's been on the receiving end of politically motivated speech, you should know better than to misrepresent the decision because it sounds like you didn't read all 98 pages of Judge Alito's decision, with all respect to you. Well, go ahead. Well, now that you've said that, tell me the part you think I didn't read or your interpretation of it. The mic is yours. Did we did we lose him? Okay, well, I mean, I think, I mean, I did. I did read it. Some of it was references to past decisions. I think I got, I got the gist of it. I mean, look, there is a lot that is not enumerated in the Constitution. The argument, and I'm going to do my best, the argument that Alito articulates is the idea that resting this on the 14th Amendment and resting this on the 9th Amendment and resting this on this vague notion of when viability is was a compromise that was not grounded in the history of our country. Yes, that's somewhat true. That so many things, as I said in the opening, so many things do not rest in our traditions. They arrest in an evolution of our country and our decision about what things we should put the government in charge of, what things we should let individuals be in charge of. Uh, we have Kevin in Brooklyn. Kevin, I'm sorry to keep you on hold so long, but thank you for waiting. No, thank you, Anthony. Yeah, I mean, I want to take this notion that, you, as you articulated in the beginning of the show, that a fundamental right has been taken away and flip it on its head and argue that, in fact, the court is acknowledging a fundamental right to life and attributing that to the unborn life. And, you know, I mean, don't you think that that is a significant, important moral judgment that we have to reach as a society? And I want to take it another step further and ask, in a perfect world, Assuming that women could give birth and that children could be cared for in the right way, wouldn't you want a world, wouldn't you want a country where all unborn children are brought to life? Yes, but that's not, Kevin, I appreciate that, but that is not, this is a question, as I think I mentioned, this is a question that is less about you and me making a moral decision than it is figuring out how, as a society, we expect the courts and the laws to intersect with what we think is right. It is not up to me. It is not up to you. And I would argue it is not up to the Supreme Court that some things we simply say, this is not the purview of government. And this type of a thing where it's a tough moral decision, it's a tough health care decision, that we trust the half the population that have to deal with this to do the best that they can. Now, if we really were serious about this as a policy perspective, we would have universal free prenatal care. We would have universal free pre-K. 
We would have dramatically expanded access to food assistance. We would have dramatically expanded access to education about, you know, to, to help people make the right decisions. I mean, yes, I totally, totally agree. The moral decisions that Kevin and I choose to make and maybe other people within the sound of my voice is not really the primary question here. The question is, what role do we expect the court and government to play in our lives? And let me pose that question to someone else on the board. Uh, we have Steve. In, is it Stark, Florida? Is that right, Steve? Yes, it's Stark, Florida. Thank you for holding on. Go go ahead today. Yeah, my pleasure, Anthony. Thank you. Uh, you know, I got to admit, as a as a Republican, I, I never really respected you that, that much. But after listening to your uh, radio show since you've been on, I found a new respect. And, uh, you know, I think that you're a very fair-minded man. And I was an Upper West Sider for over 30 years, and I certainly wish that you had been allowed to run for mayor and uh, had won, too, considering what we actually got. Um, Aside from that, though, uh, you were talking about how the Supreme Court has never taken away a right. Well, I guess it depends on what you uh, determine a right is. Uh, Back in the early days, people had a right to own another person as a slave. In the 14th Amendment, the Supreme Court took that, quote, right away. Same thing here. It's like to to uh, destroy your child by tearing it asunder and sucking its brains out while it's still being developed. Is that a right? Just like owning another person a right? Look, there's no – first of all, thank you for that um... – for, for the beginning of that, that that was a very kind words. But look, it is a difficult question. I, I think you have succeeded in turning my example on its head when I say that rights have. If you believe that 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 a human being is pick a line. I mean, unfortunately, this the Alito decision doesn't do that. The Alito decision leaves it to the legislature in in Alabama to decide if there even is a line, and the legislature in New Hampshire decide if it's different. In New York, is even different. And I guess what I would say to that is that ultimately it's recognizing that the rights of the individual citizen of the United States who happens to be a woman to make these decisions until such time as the child reaches viability. That was what the existing Roe standard was, um, was an imperfect but appropriate compromise to this question of where rights begin and end. Right now, the logical extension of the Alito decision is that the woman has less rights than a than an embryo at conception? I mean that in, uh, uh, that an embryo does. That's the way it's framed. Basically, the woman does not have does not have this right to get this medical procedure. That only the state legislatures in the various states can make that decision. By the way, that's what it says. Not that the woman has a right, but that the state legislatures. Listen, this has been a really tough and interesting conversation. We're going to continue it on the other side. Also, when Curtis uh, steps in at 3 o'clock, we're going to talk over more of this with him. And also an interesting preview of Mother's Day and how expensive it's going to be. And on the other side of the break, we will also continue to take calls. As you can imagine, whenever you talk about abortion, this is a tough issue. I feel it, you know, I feel it in my gut as well as the father of a 10-year-old. Um, this is... This is a tough decision that people have to make, but it's really one that we should leave out of the hands of the court and out of the hands 
of legislatures. 800-848-WABC, 800-848-9222. My name is Anthony Weiner. Thank you so much for sharing part of your Saturday with me. I'll see you on the other side. Talk Radio 77 WABC. It's the left versus the right in the right corner. It's heavyweight king Curtis Lewa in the left corner. It's Anthony Weiner. It's a 77 WABC debate. Heavyweight slugfest. Well, good afternoon and welcome back to Left versus Right. I'm Anthony Weiner on the left. Curtis Lewa coming in at the top of the hour. He'll be talk, right, talking about the right. We've been getting a little bit of feedback about what the show should be called since we don't really go at it left versus right style. If you'd like to be part of this conversation we're having about the future of Roe v. Wade, the future of our Constitution, the future of our country, 800-848-WABC, 800-848-9222. Uh, we've had some great calls so far. We're going to keep on doing it. I'm going to try to keep my feedback to a minimum so we get more calls in. Um, first, let's go to Sammy and Howard Beach. Sammy, what part of Howard Beach are you in? I just represent old Howard Beach. Where are you? I'm in Lindenwood. Oh, terrific. Um, Go ahead, buddy. I really don't want to do any chit-chat with you. I just want to say you admitted you're not a lawyer. If you were a lawyer, you'd be a disbarred lawyer. One of the great legal minds of all time wrote this decision. Your your liberal bias is what your opinion's based on. Yeah. <laughs> That's yes. what it's based on. Yes, Ruth I... Ruth I... Ginsburg. Didn't think it belonged to be settled at the highest court. So who are you, a convicted felon, to turn around and try to basically what you've done to Justice Alito, I find reprehensible. What did I do to Justice Alito? You're talking about his opinion. Yeah, I'm disagreeing what, what? with Justice Alito. That's what we do here. We we disagree with people sometimes. That happens. I did, no. And this whole idea that I can't talk about the Constitution because I'm not a lawyer. Can I talk about baseball if I never play in the major leagues? Come on. That's a ridiculous argument. You and I might disagree on the subject here. And I'm not saying that Alito didn't have a right to say it. I believe he is wrong. And if you're saying that that's my bias, yeah, that's my bias. And by the way, depending on what poll you look at, that's the bias of about 75% of the country representing both parties and particularly younger people who have for 50 years grown up with this right. And particularly women, you know, men, as much as we can talk about it, it's women who ultimately have to live with it. And apropos of that, I see Anne. Anne, you're calling from Staten Island. What do you have to say? Hi. Uh, first, I want to apologize to people that will be very rude to you. Um, and that's not the way that people should get into a discussion because nice. you don't learn anything. But my thought about it is this. I understand men saying, well, we can't say it. This is a woman. Da, da, da. If men can't make decisions about a woman's choice or body, then they should never go to a male doctor. We go to male doctors all the time. They make decisions about our body. I mean, why, you know, so all of a sudden, Men can't make a decision about a woman's body? No, no. I guess the difference is, and by the way, little known fact, people think that I'm, that uh, uh, a lot of people don't know this. I'm on name for my great-grandmother, Anne, so I appreciate your calling. No, no. I don't think anyone's saying is the doctor, male doctor, makes a decision any more than your male priest or male rabbi makes a decision about whether you should divorce your husband or something. But I'm saying that in, in consultation, it's ultimately the woman's decision. And these bodies of these legislatures around the country 
are almost without exception majority men for whom this decision is about someone else. I think that's the point people make. But no one says you shouldn't consult with someone who is of of a different gender. That obviously is different. Uh, Lisa in Nutley, New Jersey. Go ahead, Lisa. Hi, Um, I'm hoping you guys are staying dry today. Um, You know, they're putting a big emphasis on teaching very young, young children about inappropriate sex. Well, instead of teaching them that, why are we not educating them on the moment of conception to show each stage of when the egg is inseminated up until the birthing time. And as far as women, women are concerned, you know, what if Beethoven or Mozart or da Vinci's mother aborted them? There could be a possible genius that might not make it into this world because of a decision. It's not an easy decision. It's a tough one. But I think education is a really, really important factor in this. A hundred percent. But I got to tell you, Lisa, then what you're saying, and that's an excellent point. And by the way, you can't shake a dead cat without hitting someone who was probably an oops baby. Right. Right. Probably people walking right now who work, who we work alongside, who we love, who we care about, who are people that we think are famous stars that we admire. Yes, of course. I mean, that is a powerful way to look at the at the, at this this question. But I want to caution you, Lisa, that the conversations going on now with people yelling and screaming on talk radio with politicians standing up and pontificating is trying to limit what children are exposed to, not expand what they're exposed to. Now, I know you're saying, let's draw this line. Don't teach them this, but teach them that. I ultimately think it's a similar type of dynamic that we have to entrust teachers. We have to entrust parents. We have to entrust our community to make these decisions, but don't feel so so concerned that you're going to get drummed out of a school board meeting if you make a suggestion about teaching kids the, the basics that they need to know in order to survive and have fewer abortions. And by the way, since Roe v. Wade has been on the books, numbers of abortions have declined. Now, do we really believe that because it's no longer on the books, the number of abortions is going to keep declining or are they just going to move somewhere else? I mean, again, I think on all kinds of levels, these decisions are tough. But as a policy matter, if we really care about reducing the amount of abortions or about taking care of kids, I mean, what about someone who, who just feels they don't have the resources to take on another child? Well, what about the idea of providing them with free health care to get them through that? No. Universal health care, that's un-American. What about the idea of universal pre-K? What about the idea of, of increasing the amount for food stamps for someone raising a young child? All of these things are policy things that I totally believe we should unify around doing. But for now, this decision simply says this woman does not have a right to even – have uh, to, to even to have an abortion unless a legislature somewhere says it. Um, next is Jim and suffering. Jim, thank you for holding on. I appreciate you participating today. Yes, hi. Uh, I'm calling about part of your opening. I believe it was about there are no norms. Well, you, you kind of left out quite a few norms that obviously you probably don't agree with. Uh, the first day in office. Biden shut down oil drilling on government lands. He stopped building the wall. He stopped enforcing the law that illegals are not supposed to just walk across the border 
and stay in the country. Uh, two million last year, and God only knows how many million this year. So it's, you know, I know the hot topic for liberals is the abortion issue, but that hasn't really been fully solved yet, or we don't even know if it's going to be that opinion. But there are so many things forcing people to get vaccinated, forcing little kids to wear masks, and a lot of this stuff has been debunked, and he still preaches that. We have a president that obviously forgot this is the home of the brave and the land of the free. No one should be telling anyone, and and that goes for abortion to a certain extent, unless the life of a baby or a mother is at, at stake. But uh, you kind of forgot all the things that this president has done to make this country not safe. Do you disagree with what I just said? I disagree that those are norms. There are going to be policy differences. When a guy wins the presidency, he gets to do his policies. Other When I refer to norms, I say, you know, when the race has been called, you call the other guy and say, congratulations, let me help the transition. I call norms when a president nominates a Supreme Court justice, you give him at least a hearing. If you don't like him, you vote him down. I mean, these are norms. I mean, policy differences, they're, they're, they're going to be. Uh, Lou in Portchester. Lou, thank you for holding on. I'm grateful for your participation. Hey, Anthony. Uh, really quick, uh, I just wanted to say that because you always allude to, um, you know, the, the promotion of the, the heavyweightness and, and being fat, <laughs> but uh, your style does promote um, intelligent talk, um, you know, and uh, that's, that's evident by the, the calls today. Um, I, I want to see if I can articulate this quickly, but I think what we do, is um, I'm a big analogy guy, but I think we, we don't serve the cause. This is one area, abortion, where we cannot we cannot draw such analogies. And and I think what you end up doing, and, and I don't mean this disparagingly, but I, I think you you pander too much to the woman right, meaning that in this case, taking a life supersedes women's or or anyone's right. If we if we do, if we do what I, I said, we, we we don't do and draw an analogy. The analogy would be to the death penalty. I don't think there's anything else that that has that in common with abortion and the death penalty. And when do we say it's anyone's right to take a life? We say it in some states with the death penalty, but we don't say when is it the right to take some, an innocent life that has committed no crime. So I think abortion is very it's in a vacuum it's unique to its own issue i don't think there's any other issue that we can compare it to and i think sometimes we get intelligent people that form great theories like you know yourself i think sometimes we we cloud what's really at stake here and a woman's right is very important except when it's we're talking about taking a life yeah uh, it's unique to its own how, how do we you know how do we put in what other case do we put taking a life? Um, I'm, I'm sorry, someone's right over taking a human life. Yeah, this is, a, this is a great call. Thank you so much for calling. Look, he, that is exactly right. That's why when Justice Alito and the other signatories to this decision talk about how flimsy the justification is for this question about where is viability, this point that which divides this in this trimester system that was set up in Roe v. Wade. What he fails to understand is the point that Lou is making, and that is that, yes, this is kind of a weird one, right? This is not like any other decision, and, and, and I think the, 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 the pull towards analogy is just because we're trying to grapple with it. Even Alito in his decision talks about what makes this different than other, than other decisions. He kind of agrees. 
and I'm going to resist the temptation, although Lou raises the subject, to say it's funny how many people are pro-death penalty and anti-abortion rights. But I'm going to put that aside for the moment to address Lou's point very briefly, then we have to go to a break. That, yes, but the question becomes, is are we going to supersede the woman's right with this abstract notion of the baby's right? And I don't think that we should until the point of viability. And that's where, where I think the decision of Roe was correct. But Lou is not wrong. This, does, this is not – sometimes we get too glib when we talk about it. Sometimes we reach for analogies too far. If I was guilty of that, I concede that I probably was. This has been a great conversation. We still have a few more minutes of it before Curtis comes in and joins us and talks about both this heavy conversation but also where in the world is Eric Adams. We'll find out at the other side of the break. Thanks for joining us. I'm Anthony Weiner. This is Left versus Right. Radio 77 WABC. It's the left versus the right in the right corner. It's heavyweight king Curtis Lewa in the left corner. It's Anthony Weiner. It's a 77 WABC debate. Heavyweight slugfest. Well, welcome back to Left vs. Right. I'm Anthony Weiner, 77 WABC Talk Radio, 800-848-WABC is the phone number, 848-9222. Also, you can uh, get copies of this program in form of a podcast on WABCradio.com or in the Red Apple Podcast Network. Also, you just have to search Left vs. Right. I'm not sure how you do it if you have a, an, an iPhone, but search Left vs. Right. And uh, my name's Anthony Weiner. We have another few minutes and then... Curtis is going to be coming in, and he's got some interesting stuff about how expensive Mother's Day is this year. We're going to talk about an article that dropped in the New York Times, a fascinating story about a former mayor and his sexual orientation. And um, But until then, we're going to take a few more calls. I'm going to try to keep it short so that the calls can get in. We have uh, Lucy in Rockland. Lucy, go ahead. Thank you for waiting. Hi. Listen, I have a question. If the woman that's pregnant is a potential mom... There is a dad somewhere. Now, what if the dad wanted that baby? Does he have any rights? Nope. He doesn't have any rights? That's a, the baby would be both of theirs. It takes two to tango. Right, sure, but it only takes one to have a baby, Lucy. I appreciate your calling, but the answer is no. Uh, next is Frankie in Glendale, my old district. Hey, Frankie, thank you for tuning in. Yeah, Anthony, I'm sorry that you're not the mayor right now because of the situation. I'm sure you would do, be doing a better job. But what I called about is I, I, I saw a uh, in Manhattan, these people got together and they protested in front of a Catholic church. I'm Catholic. And uh, look, I, 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 I'm, I'm pro, pro-life. OK, that's that's what I I believe. And and I'm these 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 uh, people were very vile outside this Catholic Church of Manhattan today. And, and I, 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 I don't like it. And, and I don't think that was right to do. You know, here's an innocent baby, whatever you want to call it. OK. And, uh, you know, we have, uh, uh, you know rights in our country and and i think they should be for the the born and the unborn yeah uh, anthony i i, I know, hear you I, protesting in front of a catholic church it makes zero sense to me if anything if you believe that the court got it wrong 
you're arguing that it should be left to the woman to consult her clergy, to consult her her therapist, to consult her 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 husband. The whole idea – this is not an argument whether or not the church should have a role in these decisions. If a woman – I want that to – that's the relationship that we should be fostering between a woman and some place that she can get support to make these tough decisions. And so protesting in front of a Catholic church makes zero sense to me. I am not Catholic. I am pro-choice. I believe in a higher power of my understanding, and that's between me and my God, and, and the idea – that someone would protest at an at a, at a religious institution because the court made a mistake is beyond ridiculous to me. Uh, let's go to George in Rockland County. George, thanks for holding on. Yes, hi. So I'll be different than other callers. Okay, I believe hundred percent that the woman have a right uh, to decide for her body. The only exception I have here is that I don't want to pay for it. Okay, if she has money for clothing for her iPad. For anything that she does, she should find the money to pay for it, uh, you, know, you know, with the person that she had sex with. It's very simple for me, okay? You know, it's like anything else. You don't have the money, take a loan. It is your responsibility. You should have used con- con- contraceptive before this, okay? You didn't want to do this, okay? This is now the day after pill. Whatever it is, it is your decision, uh, whether it was in the heat of the moment or what, okay? It's your responsibility yours and the men that you had sex with. And it's simple, okay? I don't want to pay for them. I don't think anybody should pay for this, okay? It's, no, it's not different than any other medical procedures, okay? If you have a medical coverage, great. If you don't, pay for it. Well, I, I appreciate that, George. You say it's simple. I don't agree it's that simple a case because, frankly, if you're bringing a life in, into, the, in, into the world or if you're having an abortion, either way, I would think you'd want to do it safely. But fortunately for you, George, your position is the policy of the United States government right now. Medicaid will not cover abortions. That's kind of the way that that compromise has been struck. And that's a position that Joe Biden had throughout his political career. I don't know what his position is today, but that is the law of the land. Um, Next, uh, Matt in Clifton, New Jersey. Matt, go ahead. Hey, Anthony, thanks for taking my call. I appreciate it. Uh, John Roberts, in the beginning of the week, and Nancy Pelosi yesterday both said that the opinion is not final. So would would Chief Justice Roberts say that if it was the exact same opinion as February's opinion? I don't know. That's a good question. It's speculation. But whether it is the same in actual words or import is really the question. It's going to have the same effect. The question is whether or not there are more dissenting opinions, whether or not John Roberts joins the thing. Look, if I had a, you know, we haven't talked about this much, and I'm glad because I think this subject is worn out, speculation about who leaked it and why. If I had to speculate, John Roberts is the only kind of variable here where he goes. I think this was an attempt to influence him, whether attempts to bring him to bring him over to the, to the um, majority side. And it might have also been an attempt, once they already had the votes, the conservatives had the votes, to get it out there before Roberts could do anything to maybe pull back one of the wavering justices. But yes, I think there's a chance that some of the words will be different. I don't think there's any chance in the world that the uh, the import, the result of the decision will be, will be different. Um, next is Steve in Central Jersey. Steve, sorry to keep you waiting so long, but thank you for doing so. Hi, Anthony. Get right to it, Anthony. Look, you—I I know you're not a lawyer. You give the uh, opinion, the side, the judicial activist side, though. You present it well. I am an originalist. 
the, your interpretation of the Ninth Amendment, nice try. Under your interpretation of the Ninth Amendment, it means the, not a majority of the court can confer any right they want on an individual that a majority of the court comes to. Uh-uh. The, the Ninth Amendment has never been the subject of any Supreme Court decision. The, the judicial originalist argues the rights they're referring to are the inalienable rights God-given to life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness. On that basis, we could make an argument for that unborn, as you call it, not others like you call it, blob, a baby in the womb. But let's just be clear where Sam Alito and the majority come out on it, if that's going to be the opinion. They say the car, it wasn't contemplated by the framers when the Constitution yep. was drafted. It's not mentioned in the Constitution. Therefore, it goes back to the states under the Tenth Amendment. Fair enough. Well, Steve, we have to leave there. You're going to get the last word. It's a good, heavy conversation about the Ninth Amendment. I'm Anthony Weiner. On the other side, Curtis Lee, who joins us on Left versus Right on 77 WBC Talk Radio. It's the left versus the right in the right corner. It's heavyweight king Curtis Lewa in the left corner. It's Anthony Weiner. It's a 77 WABC debate. Heavyweight slugfest on New York's news and talk station 77 WABC. You know, I don't get a sense this is your kind of music. Tom Cruise, Danger Zone. No, I think it isn't this movie coming back now. Didn't he do a remake or a sequel or something like this? I mean, you are, you kind of are the Tom Cruise of underground, you know, self-patrolling citizens protecting Forest Hills kind of things. You kind of... By the way, is there a, is there a guardian angel-like fleet of planes and helicopters and or you guys just entirely in the train no 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 helicopters no fleet uh although i'd like tom cruise to go out to that uh ocean liner somewhere off of catalina uh with uh his hero as you know the author of dianetics l rod hubbard who supposedly yeah. still is out there spiritually as a sea org please enough enough of tom cruise already but i will tell you this um uh, just getting here today on the subway, uh, momentarily I did feel like uh, Travis uh, Bickle in Taxi Driver. You know, Robert De Niro in the beginning when he says, you know, a strong rain should come away and get rid of all the flotsam and jetsam and uh, flush it right down the sewer. In fact, my wife Nancy was saying that <laughs> right before I left. I thought she was referring to me. Uh, but she said, well, you know, the rain is good. It cleans all, you know, all the streets, the side streets that rarely, if ever, get cleaned any longer. And I say to myself, Anthony, we're getting all this rain. It's killing our spring. May even kill Mother's Day tomorrow for so many. And yet out in California, they're parched. They can't even get a drop of rain. 40 million people. And as a result of that, they are hoarding bottled water. Bottled water is starting to skyrocket because... People in California don't have any water. Imagine 40 million people may run out of water. And look at all this water we have for them. Maybe yeah. we can make some kind of swap. Well, that's that's the thing about global climate change, right? Everyone talks about rising sea levels. That must mean we're wetter and wetter, no? Well, in fact, like the droughts they're going on, are, it does seem to be that, I mean, between the droughts and the fires, when people say I'm moving to California, I'm like, what the heck? Why would you – Florida I kind of get. You know, it's warm in the winter spring training baseball, that kind of thing. California seems like they cannot figure it out in terms of their climate and their environment. But, yeah, they have they have a drought going on now. It's been going on for, for a while, as these things frequently do. 
But I don't know about you. This seems like the longest, most interminable kind of rainy, slightly chilly spring I can I can remember in law. Maybe I'm just getting old. No, that could be no, it. no, no. You're absolutely correct. Uh, and it's interesting because as the city tries to come back to life, uh, this will crush the resolve of tourists who want to come here and spend time. If it's always raining in New York City, like a Seattle, like a Portland, like a London, takes away from the ambiance of New York City where people just love. It's, it's a city you could walk around. You could walk everywhere. Uh, some places you may not want to walk. You don't want to get caught in crossfire of late. But basically, you know, you've seen tourists before. Their heads are always up. They're always staring at the skyscrapers. It's a great place to be. But when it's raining... Those that have come here, what are they going to do? In well, maybe them? could that be why, for a good part of this week, our mayor was on the left coast? Could it be maybe he was just looking for just he just wanted to warm his bones a little bit? I don't know if you noticed this, Curtis, but, you know, he was in L.A. for a couple of days this week after the Met Gala. <laughs> this doesn't sound good for him as I'm setting this up. <laughs> after the Met Gala, <laughs> he flew to he flew to L.A. and he was even delayed coming back. Uh, maybe that's why he was there, and I can't say that I blame him. It's been it's it's certainly nicer there. Well, that's not why he was there, and he gave us a sort of uh, idea of what life with Eric Adams as our mayor is going to be. So, in coming back to New York City and facing a lot of criticism because polls have indicated, "Hey, guy, in four months uh, you're beginning to lose." You swagger with the voters because, you know, his whole thing is I'm the swagger man. But now people are beginning to say, yeah, but where's your plan for, you know, sort of stabilizing crime, driving it down? They don't see that. So yesterday, instead of saying, OK, get the message, I got to sort of put my boots in the ground here. Listen to what he had to say and give me your analysis of what you expect from days in the future to come. First of all, you know, the headline, you know, your paper is unique with these headlines, but we ignore that. This is what I must do. I must do what other mayors are doing. They're coming to my city and our city, encouraging businesses to go to their city. They're learning from our ideas. And if I'm going to sit home while other people are coming, taking our businesses, that's a big mistake. I'm going to crisscross the globe. And I'm going to show people our product. I need businesses here. We want to be the center of life sciences, cybersecurity, Bitcoin, blockchain. And then we must go and learn what other cities are doing. That is what we want to do. So I don't know the poll I saw this morning that says 63% approval, that people approve my um, housing approve my uh, homeless plan, approve, approve my gun safety plan. Polls go up and down. Those of you who followed me on the campaign, you heard three things. Stay focused, no distractions, and grind. I am less than six months into my administration. And so throughout this six months, it's going to be a roller coaster. But at the end of it, we're going to turn the city around. Well, he gave us an idea that he wants to go on a lot of junkets. He wants to travel the globe. And uh, he needs to stabilize problems here before he can even think of traveling away. I mean, to, well, to I suggest that yeah. he's going to travel to bring ideas back to New York. Hey, guess what? If you have a crime problem here that lingers, 
Business isn't going to leave without any mayors coming here and enticing them to leave because they all give corporate welfare now. We give corporate welfare to keep them here. They give corporate welfare to lure them uh, wherever they're mayors of. You got to you got to stabilize the crime problem or the city will not return to its, its normal way of doing business. Well, look, I I got a call last week before you had come in where someone said, well, what would be different if you were the mayor? And there are frequently times where I think like in moments like this, what would I have said? I would have said, I'm not going to travel my first year. OK, maybe I'll go to D.C. Definitely not going to sleep over anywhere. I'm going to, you know, that kind of thing. That's my my perspective. But. His answer was not – I give it a 7 on a scale of 1 to 10. I mean one. I think he just sort of said, look, I'm a spokesman for the city. I am a poster child for the city. I am – I'm mean, i not going to be like Bill de Blasio. I'm going to go out and talk about this city. You want me to come on the Today Show and make jokes about being in the mayor of New York City? I want to do that. I think that's good for business. I think it's good for morale in the city. It's the kind of mayor I'm going to be. If you don't like it, I'm sorry about that. I'm going to be doing that. I don't know if I 100% think this tortured argument of, well, they're trying to promote by com- you know, putting ads on in New York papers saying, move your business to Ohio, therefore I have to go to Ohio. I'm not sure I buy that. But this is an overblown thing, generally speaking. Mayors travel. Uh, uh, Bloomberg traveled. Mayors do their things. What I am concerned about, and I think what most citizens are concerned about, are the policies on the ground. Arrests are up. Shootings are down. Things are not fixed by any stretch of the imagination. If you're asking me, if I were mayor, or if you were mayor, Curtis, you'd probably be the same way. Would I travel to L.A.? Is whatever it is, six months in? Probably not. It's not a big deal. I also am not nuts about his answer about polls. I mean, I think the answer is, look, some things are going to be popular. Some things are going to be unpopular. What I have said is you give me four years and every day you're going to know that when I wake up in the morning, I'm thinking about improving the problems in this city and solving them. Every day when I put my head down, I think I'm going to do it the same way the next day. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to get things, some things right. I'm going to get some things wrong. Some people are going to like me. Some people are not. But I'm going to show up here every single day to take your questions. Something like that. But he's fine. What he did is fine. Whether he's in L.A. or not, all kidding aside, I don't really care. Well, wait a second. You know, he keeps promoting the fact that he's the swagger man, the swagger man. I think people have had enough of that. They know he's a swagger man. They know he likes nightlife. They know he's at Zero Bond. That's the second city hall. That's that's the overnight city hall. You do business with Eric Adams at Zero Bond. Okay. But not to deal with the day-to-day problems that he's promised he would deliver. Where are you getting that from, that he's not dealing with the – you might not like the outcome. It's not like he's not working during the day before he goes out to Zero Bond. There's more crime now than there was at any point in eight years of Bill de Blasio. This is the guy who ran on law and order. He said, from day one, I got a plan. He never had a plan. The swagger man never had a plan. Well, but, I mean, the idea that you can't go out at night and have dinner and have a drink with your friend, whatever it is, as part of the 24-hour mayor guy, and like you you and I were at the Inner Circle, that was a big source of the reporters kind of laughing at that, like that's all you do. I get it, but it's not like he's not out working hard throughout the day. Yes, crime is a problem. I I don't have a sense that he's ignoring crime as a problem. They've made more arrests in the last quarter than they had they had made at this time last year. Their shootings are down. Crime is still a problem. I get that. I don't have a problem with the ancillary stuff if you're working hard on the other stuff. Now, you can say you don't like the results, but I don't think him being at zero bond at 1 o'clock in the morning – being, you know, that guy is anyway impairing his, his ability to Well, leave. when he's a front row with Jay-Z, Beyonce, Elon Musk, uh, 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 Fox, watching David Chappelle 
do his performance at the Hollywood Bowl and then watch the 23-year-old guy get up on the stage and attack Dave Chappelle. Wait a minute, say, he was in the audience for that? Yes. Oh. Yeah, him and his police entourage. Oh, I wish they would have. Wouldn't it be great if Eric Adams jumped on stage to protect Dave Chappelle? No, he wasn't going to be doing that. I can tell you. Not with the Ferragamo shoes <laughs> and the uh, customized suits. He he ain't going that way. He could have that ankle revolver. I, we we don't know. He could. He I know, could. But, but think of it, Anthony. What the hell is he doing there? You know, it, it, the optics are bad. Get your ass back to New York City. Uh, you want to go to events in New York City? Fine. There's more than enough events taking place now. It's a lockdown. Man, the, the more I tell you, have Adams derangement syndrome, man. You are just have Adams on the bridge. He can do all of those things. I don't think new most New Yorkers. You want to go travel? You want to spend a weekend in LA? You want to go speak at a conference? Even you want to go to a, to a, a comedy show at night? If they thought that he was not working hard while he's here, now I have already stipulated. I probably would not travel in my first year at all, and. I remember very much that when I was working for Chuck Schumer back in the 80s, it looked like he was going to run against a guy named Steve Solars or he had thrown in together. And Steve Solars was constantly traveling around the globe sure. being this, being a real expert on foreign affairs. And I remember Chuck Schumer telling me, you know, my idea of going south is going to, to Coney Island, going to the Rockaway and working the beaches and giving out literature and answering questions. That's in my – that's my – you're probably the same way. Being if, – if we were ever blessed to become mayor – we, you'd have to drag us out of out of there. Plus, Jermani Williams would be mayor while we're gone, which oh is a whole God. other question. Oh my God! So, but I think that fairness is the guy works hard. He works long hours. If he wants to be out of the city promoting the city, that's fine. But I got to tell you, here's where the rubber really does hit the road. God forbid there's, there's a train derailment. God forbid there's a shooter on the train. What was the circumstance that that it was? I think it was the first attack on the World Trade Center. I think that that David Dinkins was, was out, in Japan. Was in Japan, and Ray Kelly handled things uh, in right. his uh, absence. He was not able to get a flight right. back. And then it became a real because then your then your decision has led to this the choice. And remember Bloomberg every weekend he would flip off the press. They, you don't have a right to know what I'm doing. And he would fly over to his mansion in Bermuda. And then, remember, he uh, there was warnings there might be a snowstorm. Hey, he left it to his deputy mayor who was from Indiana, where there's more corn uh, than people. Right. And his deputy mayor from there, from Indiana, was in Washington, D.C. that weekend. And it was total Michigan. And people like me, who were gearing up to run against him, had a field day with him. Of course, and had rightfully so. A, well, that's the part that maybe we disagree with. But that's the hit that you – that I think it's an okay to make the hit. But the problem is the next part of the sentence has to be, therefore, he didn't do A, B, or C. I think he's working hard on the issues that impact our city. I'm not mad about, your, like you say, the optics. But as you know, I'm not an optics guy as much as I used to be. All I want to know, you have the problems, you have a plan, you have what you're doing. I think you and I agree on that. Being in L.A., being, you know, traveling to a conference, being at the National Council of Mayors, being at the White House, these types of things, I don't really, well, I, I don't really have to Well, the side issue, and you're going to find out about this real quick, Anthony, because I already know it's happening. He's fundraising. And you say, well, what is he fundraising for? He just got elected mayor. He's got a four-year plan to run for the presidency of the United States. And he's telling people openly, his, his campaign people, many of whom now work at City Hall, saying, oh, yeah, Eric's plan originally was a 10-year plan to run for president. He would tell people when he was fundraising over the summer in the Hamptons. Now, because of the condition of Joe Biden and Democrats are not sure if he's even capable of running another four years, He's gearing up. He's raising money. He was he's, out there in L.A. Raising, oh they paid God. for the trip with campaign money. 
not city funds. You that tells to, you, you something almost, right you, there. Um, no, you almost have to. You almost have to. The, the way the law is structured right now, you have to pay for it from somewhere. You can either pay for it if you're from your official account. You have to pay for your campaign account. You can't just reach into your pocket and pay and pay for for travel once once you're an elected official. It's a really difficult problem, and so you've got to decide where should this come from. And I guess they made the decision. I, I don't know why they haven't been more clear about this. They made the decision since there a certain percentage of this was going to be fundraising. Then he should not take any chances. He should pay for it as a, as a campaign expense, or if it was going to be political in nature. Then he should pay for it as a campaign expense. Remember, I wouldn't Anthony, read too much. By the way, if he said it in a single fundraising setting, just once, I'm thinking of running for president. Believe me, we would have heard about said it, by it now. many times, Anthony. Many times they got a 10 year plan to run for president. It's truncated that because of the condition of Joe Biden. Who a lot of Democrats are saying, boy, we'll be lucky if this guy can finish four years. Well, whether or not that there's chatter around around Biden maybe not running and or who might step in for him. I have to tell you this. I will eat this table if it's Eric Adams. Well, you know, remember Eric said, I'm the Biden of Brooklyn. Remember that? (laughs) I'm the Biden of Brooklyn. Now with Biden at 31%, I don't think he's saying that anymore. Now up next, we got to discuss what is a problem. Do we blame uh, Biden? Do we blame Putin? Do we blame the economy? Do we blame inflation? It's not enough flowers for Mother's Day. And boy, the florists are making money hand over fist. As people scurry about trying to find a bouquet of flowers, whether it happens to be for a gravesite or they're visiting their mother, their grandmother, or whomever, there's just not enough flowers out there. FTD, (laughs) unfortunately, they don't have enough either. Talk Radio 77 WABC. It's the left versus the right in the right corner. It's heavyweight king Curtis Lewa in the left corner. It's Anthony Weiner. It's a 77 WABC debate. Heavyweight slugfest. Yeah, this is my speed here, Anthony Weiner. Joe Walsh, Funk 49. Play it up there a little bit. Yeah. See? Catch the riff. You see this? I I got it. I got it. Sleep all day, out all night. And just imagine you were trying to remember, oh, that's right. Sunday is Mother's Day. Always the fallback gift for mom or grandmom if you hadn't purchased something in advance or hadn't gone to Amazon Prime or whatever was a bouquet of flowers. And you knew you could do that at a local grocery store, bodega outside, a fruit and vegetable stand. People will set up tomorrow, if it doesn't stop raining, uh, all kinds of stands, and they'll just say bouquets of roses and other flowers. For me, it was always they wanted to give me deathbed lilies, uh, (laughs) members of organized crime, which was the flower of death. Hey, oofa to you. But there's not enough flowers. Now, the question is, we blame people for everything now when there's shortages. Can't blame Biden for this. Can't blame Putin for this. Can't blame inflation for this. Can't blame uh, COVID-19 for this. I'm blaming the greed that comes with supply and demand because the growers uh, and the wholesalers and the retailers realize less supply is going to increase the demand. You'll be willing to pay $50 bouquet or more right on the street corner if necessary. Because you don't show up with a bouquet of flowers for mom or grandma or your own wife. 
or your girlfriend or whomever it is that you're honoring on Mother's Day. You're going to be on the outside looking in because what else are you going to get? A box of chocolates? I'm on a diet. How dare you give me a box of chocolates? Well, you don't think that flower inflation leading up to Valentine's Day, leading up to Mother's Day has not been a thing forever? No. It's, a, it's an artificial thing. No, no. I, I think this was purposefully done to hide no, that, behind. No, that's what I mean. I mean, now you can argue all these other types of things. But I recall this being – I got I to gotta remember. I seem to remember me and a guy named John Sabini who was a councilman from Queens. When we were both in the city council, we were both young ruffians in the council acting out when Peter Valone was trying to keep us in line – I think that we had hearings in the in the Consumer Affairs Committee about the outrage of the rising prices leading into had that Valentine's been true. Day. I, I just think I, I I think that there are these moments where sometimes smart business people doing what capitalism says you should do reads the newspapers and huh maybe I can get away with a ten percent increase because of this and they go ahead and tack it on. But I don't really think there's there's anything more to it than just good old fashioned entrepreneurship and capitalism and they got us boy they because you know you can't show up to visit mom without something in hand but i'll tell you if this had been a problem as you say it was when you were a young huckleberry along with sabini in the city council flexing uh no doubt the consumer affairs chief mark green would have had 52 press conferences he was almost as bad as your boss uh, for a while chuck schumer they used to compete, remember, with press yep. conferences. You, you would run from a Schumer press conference on the same subject to Mark Green. And anything having to do with consumer affairs, it was always Mark Green. He yep. was a master of this. He was, he was very good. I actually I learned a lot from watching Chuck, from watching Mark Green do these, do these things. Here's the thing that I used to do every year on the Friday after Thanksgiving, Black Friday, hmm. when most politicians were home with their families and I was just a single guy in my, driving my staff crazy. I would do a survey every year of of store credit card interest rates. You know, oh. you get a, a Best Buy card, you get a, a Victoria's Secret card, whatever it is. And always those rates were exorbitantly high. So I would do on this as the shopping season begins, cut up your cards. And I would bring a whole fistful of cards that different people gave me and I would cut them up. I would do... I would do five TVs. That was back when they were really, you know, like a lot of TV stations would send a camera. So I did those press conferences as well. I think, but, but you know, the thing, the flower guy, by the way, I don't have flowers. Well, I think I do have one on, on East 13th Street, but most of the flowers being sold in New York nowadays are at bodegas, right? Isn't, isn't bodegas, now, fruit and vegetable stands. But yes. most of them now, I think they almost, do they lease out the side of their bodega? Yes. Or, so there are different guys who are doing yes. the work there, yes. right? It's not the same bodega guys no. who are just doing And there's just a lot of cut flowers that right. are shipped within 72 hours uh, from uh, countries in South America, Peru, Bolivia, all along the western coast where they grow the flowers. And then they ship them overnight and then the wholesalers distribute it to the retailers. And this is their, their Bafo business day. So you can imagine a, a, a local florist, a mom-and-pop florist, is going to be able to charge yeah. twice, sometimes three times a month. Now, what I used to do as a kid to earn brownie points with my mother, because we're, obviously we're both going to talk about our mother and how we honored our mother, not just on Mother's Day, but all the time, to earn brownie points with my mommy, Francesca. We lived next to the Canarsie Cemetery, which was the only sec- uh, secular cemetery in all of New York City. It was owned by the city of New York. Every other cemetery was religious, one religion or right. the other. So they would throw the flowers away Tuesday night in the back of the cemetery. They would take all the floral bouquets that had been laid in oh, front. Boy. I see where the story's going. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So I would snatch them up at night. 
And I would bring them into the basement there on 89th and J, just a block away. And I put together this marvelous floral arrangement. <laughs> and then I had the paper, the butcher paper from my uh, uh, my uncle Jimmy Scavone's uh, butcher shop because I would deliver meat after school. And I would put it together, and every week I would give a floral bouquet to my mother, and I would say, hey, Mom, don't forget the St. Joseph's Ashman. you got to put it in the vase. Oh, uh, the God. flowers will live long. And she where did you get these flowers, Curtis? I said, well, yeah, I got a few tips. Uh, I made a few extra deliveries for Uncle Jimmy. And I, she believed it for how, a while. Let me ask you, how old were you when this was going on? Oh, I was about uh, 15 years old. So... So the whole Sliwa working an angle thing started very young. You were like constant. You were you were like a guy. You were a street guy who was kind of working those angles from a very to, early. Because I guess so. Remember, my father was away. He was a merchant seaman, fifty four years, Chester. He would come home four months of the year, and then it was law and order. You know, I couldn't get over on my dad. He was street smart, a merchant seaman. Right. But my mother, Francesca, when you're in an Italian American household. The boy is the prince. He can do no wrong. And even though I'm not fully Italian, part Polish, my father's side, but Bade's on my mother's side, we grew up with the Italian part of the family, I could do no wrong. But I realized I needed a little hedge, you know, because there was some wild and crazy things that I was doing with my cousins, uh, Joey G, the Cheech from Howard Beach, Lenny Beans, Bianchino, you know, hot wiring cars, going for joy rides. My mother would hear, were you, were you out with Joey G? Were you out with Lenny Beans, Bianchino? No, Mom, I haven't seen him uh, in a month of Sundays. And then that would buy me sometimes some yeah. cred. You see, flowers would always do that. And naturally, later on when I began dating and I get into double trouble, yeah, I always knew. Now I had to buy the flowers because I wasn't going to go into a cemetery and but, start But you had seen the off. magic of the flowers. But it's fascinating. Like, I always like to hear, like, when did these personality things that are now obvious in later life start to form? Like, with me, there weren't a lot of – well, I mean, when I – in third grade in Miss Noonan's class in PS39, I, I ran for class vice president. Me and Eddie Rodriguez ran against James Noonan, no relation, and Sean Gillia. So, like, there are these little stories that I ran for office early well, on. But, vice president? You you actually yeah, didn't yeah. run for yeah, president? Exactly. What happened? By the way, he... and I lost, and we lost the, the election because um, – was it James Noonan? Was it, I can't remember how we were paired up. We were four of the – like, we were four best friends in third grade. But the guy who ran for president, he gave you know those. The, I think I might have told you the story. There are these these um, lollipops that are all connected in a string. You tear oh, yeah. them one up. So he he took out a long string of those as part of his campaign speech. Bribery and put one on everyone's desk. I'm oh. like campaign finance reform now is what <laughs> I was arguing. But anyway, but I I don't have it. I mean I don't have anything like that kind of charming thing that I did for my mom. There's all kinds of stories of things my mom did for me. Like when in my second year at Brooklyn Tech. Uh, where John Katzmatidis and I, both alumnus of Brooklyn Tech, to show you that, that that's the true specialized high school in the city. I, I was failing math, and that's relevant only because my mom— Brooklyn Tech? Yeah. But my mom was a math teacher. She was a math teacher for 32 years, first at IS-88, then at, 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 um, at Midwood High School. And going to my mom for help with my tail between my legs was like, you know, when you're 13— you know, you don't need your parents for anything. You're the smartest person on earth. Going to your parents asking for help— and she was great. She didn't make me eat any crow. She just quietly sat down. And now I see it as she works with my son, Jordan, on his math stuff. Um, like she And she pulled the fat out of the fire for me because I was literally going to fail math, and she turned it around for me. So she was tutoring you. She didn't. We never used that kind of language because it was kind of – I always thought it's beneath me to turn to my mom for help. So she let me – you know, yes, the answer is – 
She helped drag my butt over the finish line, helped me get a passing grade in math, and that's just one of the millions of things that she's done. And now today to watch her with my son, you know, I wonder how many of these moments that she actually did with me that I don't give her much credit for to kind of help me be a little bit better at math and better at life. Well, you know, interesting, I had a conversation with my youngest son yesterday. He was all proud, busting his buttons and britches with pride. Daddy, Daddy, I got a 94 on my math test, just like you in school. I said, Hunter... (laughs) <laughs> Math was not a good subject for me. Uh, history, you know, social studies, uh, current affairs, civics, yes. You know, those were my favorite subjects, and I obviously did best in those subjects. Math was never one for me. I remember my mother, Francesca, getting me a tutor after school when all of a sudden we went from just simple two plus two is four to all of a sudden squares and triangles and... God, rectangles, and then I started getting lost. And then all of a sudden, the uh, you could say the algorithms as we moved up the ladder in terms of math is it completely turned me off. Well, I can tell you this. I mean, here's what here's what Francis Weiner helped me with. And by the way, I can't go more than a day or two without someone stopping me on the subway or on the bus and saying I had your mom for math. And then I kind of I tense up a little bit because it might be a punch in the nose coming, or it might be tell her she's great because my mom was tough. And when I would go speak at graduation at Midwood High School, I would always have this pat line that says, there's many reasons I'm happy to be here. I'm happy to be here with you and your parents, blah, blah, blah. And I'm also happy because Fran Wiener is my mom. And some booze, some cheers, a lot of laughter. She was a tough (laughs) teacher. But um, one of the things that she succeeded in doing with me is like showing me kind of math as puzzle, as problem solving and getting the – the, f- the feeling of, okay, I now can figure this out, and it's opening this key to this whole other realm. I see the appeal of people who say that they love math. You I know, was never that person, but I see it. Forgetting math for a second, I could never figure out how a guy could be named Francis. So then you would hear in the Italian community, you know, Frank Francis Sinatra. I say, Mom, how could Sinatra have a name like yours? Because her name's Francis, but in Italian, Francesca, like your mother, Francis. She goes, look, it's spelled with an I, not an E. I say, that's the only difference. That's all you need to know. Don't make a big deal about it. Just yeah. don't make a big deal about it. <laughs> yep, yep. But, but anyway, when we come back, we have to talk about an iconic figure in New York City. It was very quiet about the life and times of Ed Koch, the former mayor. But then all of a sudden, they wanted to take his name off of the 59th Street, uh, make it Queensboro Bridge. And all of a sudden, we now begin to learn more and more about the life and sometimes tortured times of Ed Koch that we were never privy to. We always thought, hey, how you doing? The guy was joyful. You know, he's the number one cheerleader for New York City. But boy, he had to crawl out of the belly of the beast sometimes because of the depression that came about. Because he couldn't be totally who he was born to be. You don't want to miss it, Anthony Weiner. Yours truly, Curtis Slew. It's appointment radio. Anthony for the first hour, 2 to 3. Then I join him from 3 to 4. And if you missed any of the program, just go to wabcradio.com and get the podcast of this show and other shows here at WABC. Radio 77 WABC. It's the left versus the right in the right corner. It's heavyweight king Curtis Lewa in the left corner. It's Anthony Weiner. It's a 77 WABC debate. Heavyweight slugfest.
Play Holy Roller music. Hold on, the Doobie Brothers. Jesus is just all right by me. Uh, the Jewish guys and gals singing that song when the Doobie Brothers were like top 40 uh, uh, with a bullet, uh, Anthony uh, Weiner. I don't know. Any references to 1974, I have to rely upon you to help me out with <laughs> But I remember this is one of those popular songs that transcended what was considered religious music, and especially the Doobie Brothers. But if we go back to the 70s, and 74 is interesting because there are a lot of men and women who worked in politics, either running for, whether running for office, being elected to office, or working behind the scenes as staff. Because I think uh, you would acknowledge, Anthony, it is so important to have good staff because oftentimes they do all the heavy lifting that sometimes the elected officials take credit for and they never really give the kind of exposure that the staff people need. Ed Koch rose through the ranks of the Democratic Party. And there were always whispers that Ed Koch was a gay man. And the terms that he used back then were not all that friendly. And he took out with the reformers, Carmine DiSapio and Tammany Hall. People don't realize this. They were entrenched. You might as well have had organized crime in the machinery of the Democratic Party. In fact, remember, Carmine DiSapio would wear those same... uh, black sunglasses that you would see a lot of the mobsters wearing. And they broke all the rules. Yet here, bravely, Ed Koch rose as a reformer to challenge them and beat them with other reformers. And you know they were doing negative research because to be called gay then or lesbian, that's it. It was over. You had no chance politically. And to think that he had to struggle through all that time because there's a big piece now in the New York Times uh, about what he had to go through through all those years, all those battles, those struggles, those trials and tribulations, because always looming was the fact that within inside of himself, apparently was a, a gay guy who just could not express himself, couldn't be seen in public uh, with the other gay men without immediately the thought being, oh, is that your gay lover? Is that uh, who you're having a relationship with? Uh, I don't think people realize that the American Psychiatric uh, Association at that time in 1972 said that being gay or lesbian was a sickness. And I remember there was a um, psychiatrist who went to their annual convention He wore a Nixon mask, a tuxedo, three sizes too big. They altered his voice. He gave a 10-minute speech. He was trembling, and he said, I am gay. And he said, I'm not going to any longer deny it. You're claiming that I'm diseased, that I'm somehow sick. They gave him a standing ovation, and that was the beginning of the turnaround, at least among psychiatrists. But before that, they would say, oh, that's a disease. You're sick. You, you have a, a mental handicap as a result of being gay or lesbian. Yeah, I mean, it's it's you know it's a story in today's today's paper, and it talks to some of the people who were around Ed Koch during the time of his rise, during the times of his service. And one of the reasons that the Times says, "Well, why are we doing the story?" is that a lot of those people that were the oral historians at that time, they're in their twilight years, and so they wanted to write the story now. And I'm a, I've, I was originally bristling at the idea, of like, why is this a story in today's times? And the reason I think, at by the time I'd done reading it. Is it for a lot of politicians today, for a lot of citizens today, for a lot of young people today who are just having a conversation about Ed Koch because they drove over the bridge or something like that, 
don't realize that here we are in this liberal bastion, this bluest of blue bastions, representing a district as he did in Greenwich Village. This was not just any old politician. He represented Greenwich Village. And even for him, even at that time, he could not, because he was a consummate politician above and beyond, he could not come to grips with how he could could um, could relate his true sexuality to being a successful politician to the point where not only did it haunt him, but it made his policies worse. He was then the mayor during the explosion of the AIDS crisis, and he was slow to react and was reluctant to react because he knew that there were whispers about him being gay, which it turns out that he was. And as a result, this secret keeping not only aided him, but made him a less good mayor. And maybe the reason that this is so powerful to me is I, too, was carrying around secrets that the very secrets themselves made me a tougher boss, made me – it ate the, the eat away at you. Sure. And there are moments in this story where they describe him sitting alone in Gracie Mansion with no companionship. I remember when I was with uh, Chuck Schumer, I was working for Chuck, and it was in the late 80s. It must have been approaching the time that he was going to run for it, that Koch was, was in his third term. That turned out to be a disaster at third term. And he wound up not getting the nomination after that. David Dinkins beat him. And I remember going and visiting, just being a fly on the wall, as Chuck Schumer was being wooed by Koch to endorse him. And I remember just how sad he looked sitting. It's my first time ever being in Gracie Mansion, mm. first time being that close to Ed Koch, just him, Ed Koch, and me. I wasn't part of it. I'm not going to make myself a bigger dude than I was. I was basically Chuck's driver. Chuck invited me to come in. And it was just a sad – and I remember Chuck saying on his way out of there is you wonder if Ed Koch, when he lay down at, at bed at night, he had someone next to him to say, you know, Ed, you're a real jerk today. Mm. Or, Ed, you know, maybe it's time to hang him up. Or, Ed, you know, maybe you don't need to be such a, such a jerk all the time. Um, he would have been a better mayor. And now reading this story today, he was tormented by the – it tells a story in, in this article about how Larry Kramer and him, Larry Kramer, the famous AIDS act, anti-AIDS activist who hated Koch, who tried to out him constantly, yes. would – when he saw Koch in his building, would whisper to his dog, to his dog, hey, that's the person that killed so many of my friends. Mm. You know, just how different – and as it turned out, because he was stubborn, even late in life when they said, listen, as one of your departing acts, come out to make it clear that the times have changed, to be of service to others. He couldn't even do it because he didn't want to give satisfaction to his, to his enemies who tried to out him earlier on in his career. It is a reminder politicians are human beings that carry around stuff, that carry burdens, that carry stuff that eat away at them, that carry secrets, just like every other line of work. And sometimes, like it did with me, it crosses over to impact your ability to serve others. And that secrets are corrosive, man. They really are. And this story really makes you feel Rachman is for Koch because as much of a jerk as he was sometimes and as problems a lot of us had with his policies, I thought he was a great mayor and he could have been so much more if he maybe existed at a time where he wasn't burdened with these you secrets. You know, but it's so easy for these naysayers to criticize him. He was attacked. Look, he was my worst enemy. He's the reason I got locked up over 70 times. Uh, he had a deputy mayor, Herb Rickman who it was always thought he had a uh, friendship and a sexual relationship with, because Herb Rickman, it was thought, was gay also, and they would always con consult with one another. He was a deputy mayor in his administration. I was getting locked up like every other month. You know, I'm in Rikers, Queens House, uh, Bronx House, <laughs> Brooklyn House. There was no love between me and Ed Koch. 
And then after he left office, and I was shot in that summer of June 19th in 1992 by the Gaudis uh, and the Gambinos, Ed Koch was in the hospital room when I recovered in the ICU. This is the first guy I woke up to. And I thought I had died and gone straight to hell without an asbestos suit because we had been bitter enemies. And then when he worked at WABC, he did 11 o'clock in the morning to 11.45, and then Paul Harvey would come on for 15 minutes. It was the most listened to segment of the many. And this is when Rush was at his top and Bob Grant, the king of talk radio in the afternoons, because people wanted to hear Koch. But he could never, ever, ever... sort of get weak and acknowledge that he might have been gay. That would have been his political death. Think of all the men and women who it was found out that they were gay or lesbian, and that's it. You never heard from them again. Not that they were killed, but they had no shot in politics. And I always hearken people back. He's in a runoff for mayor. He's the uh, pro-death penalty law and order Democrat. Uh, which you have nothing to do with the death penalty when you're a mayor. But David Garth, who had guided John Lindsay to the mayoralty, was his uh, campaign manager. And all of a sudden, the Cuomo's, they're sitting at Queens County headquarters, right there on Austin Street. I think that Donald, uh, not Manus, was the leader, uh, Troy, uh, Matty Troy. And they figured, we're down in the polls because you're against the death penalty, Mary. I'm not changing and then 23-year-old Andrew Cuomo was his campaign manager. People don't realize how uh, Mario Cuomo relied on his son, Andrew. And Andrew would always call him Mario. We'd never call him dad, pops, father. It was always Mario. And that's when they devised the strategy with the uh, placards, vote for Cuomo, not the homo. They were everywhere. I saw him everywhere in the city. His numbers crashed. David Garst said, we're dead Unless I call in a favor from Beth Meyerson, who is America's sweetheart, first Jewish um, uh, Miss America, uh, calls Beth. Hey, you got to attach yourself like an appendage. You got Ed Koch. You have to promise if uh, Ed gets elected mayor, there will even be a potentially a wedding at Gracie Mansion. All the boobies and Zetas love that. And it propelled him to victory. Well, but, but you know, the, the other interesting thing about that story is that apparently David Garth wanted a commitment from Koch early on before he was hired. He asked him about his sexuality, and Koch said, no, I'm heterosexual. And Garth was so concerned about this that he went and did research on his own. Now, get the night. Now, by the way, Garth at the time was the kingmaker. He was the most prominent politician, uh, a political consultant around. in the era. He started the era of famous political yes. consultants. Yes. And it was such a big deal to him that when he found out, he felt terribly betrayed and said, fuck it, frick it I never will, will, will do this again. I mean, the, 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 it's hard to remember that here in New York City, being gay was seen as a, as a kiss of death. Yes. And, 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 and Koch was so concerned about it that not only did he hedge, he said affirmatively, I happen to be homo- heterosexual. He like, lied. And the gay community at the time, who knew better because of however you know, the words circulated, felt so betrayed. Imagine being the mayor in that environment. One, being gay. Two, being protested and and by your your lancemen, knowing that your political consultant would quit if they found out the true thing, being told that you've got to start showing up at pictures with a, with a former Miss America, just that torment that must have been, and to be then attacked by Andrew Cuomo and his father in this way, and although it, although they deny it to this day, there's no one who believes that what you're dest- describing it didn't happen. I mean, it is just heartbreaking, and so today a young 
gay aspiring politician will probably read this article and say, come on. If anything, it's a benefit to be, you know, nowadays to be gay in the in, in the village. And that's why it's an important piece of history. But it makes you really a little bit sad. No, for they the guy's have life. no idea it was death politically uh, for it to be perceived that you were gay and lesbian. Think of how many women uh, who are not married immediately. It was alleged that they were lesbians and they would have to fight that off and fight that off. Thank God. Uh, that's no longer the case, uh, right. at least in in our particular sphere of influence. Uh, but to malign Ed Koch, that is a shanda, that is a disgraziata, and that is coming from the guy who was his number one enemy. We were like two scorpions in a brandy glass. <laughs> but come on, keep the Ed Koch name on the 59th Street Bridge. Get rid of the 59th Street uh, Bridge. Get rid of the Queensboro Bridge. Keep it the Ed Koch Bridge. Left versus the right in the right corner. It's heavyweight king Curtis Lewa in the left corner. It's Anthony Weiner. It's a 77 WABC debate. Heavyweight slugfest. The Grim Reaper, huh? What is it? Are they coming for me? The deathbed lilies are being delivered to me again by my many enemies I'm out there? What is Diego trying to tell us here today? I don't know. I don't I'm know. not 100% sure. I will never forget, right before I got shot, a, uh, a bouquet of deathbed lilies arrived wrapped in the New York Times at WABC, our old headquarters. And uh, the guy, somebody there, one of the maintenance guys, looked at it and said, Hey, you know, somebody's got the, the mark of Malukia, the mark of death. Now, yeah, don't worry about it. It's not dead fish. And little did I realize <laughs> I was going to get shot as a result. But, Anthony, uh, I heard you in the first hour. Most of your conversation was about Roe v. Wade and the potential decision to roll it back by the United States Supreme Court. I noticed that Democrats... Uh, are sort of filled now with the energy that seemed to be lacking before the midterm elections because of the inflation and Joe Biden as president and some of the other things happening geopolitically. Uh, They're going to have January 6th going into the midterms, and now they're going to have the abortion issue. Is that going to be enough, though, to stem the flow of uh, the red tsunami, or will the red tsunami turn into just red tide? I don't know. I mean, look, it's an article of faith that the out party is always more animated, right? That's why Republicans are so animated today because they have Biden, they have Pelosi, they have Schumer. They're the out. They have something that they're fighting for. The puzzling thing for me is like Roe v. Wade has been arguably on the ballot. We've heard that slogan so many times it makes my hair hurt on the ballot since the 80s. I mean, since Ronald Reagan, I talked about this in my monologue. You know, Ronald Reagan had a life amendment in his thing and he overwhelmingly got elected. Donald Trump got elected, even though we knew that these vacancies were going to happen. I think there's a certain there's a certain fidelity to process that Democrats have that they can't get their mind around the idea that something that we had for 50 years would just disappear because it's such bad policy and so bad and so disruptive for the country. Maybe this is the kind of thing, you know, it reminds me of all of those people that marched on the streets in 2017 as Trump took office as if they just know, well, where were they in Wisconsin on Election Day in 2016? So I am not convinced, and you know it's it's months away now, and there's a lot of news that happens and goes. If if I you know I I think that the Republicans made a fundamental mistake in trying to make this culture war thing their thematic thing going into this election, rather than what they had. The economy is a mess. 
Inflation is out of control. Afghanistan was not was not great. They have real substantive things, sure, and yet there sure. seems to have been a tactical decision up on high. Let's make this culture war thing the thing. Well, now here's a cultural kind of issue that cuts badly against what the Republicans want to do, and I think a lot of Republicans have real qualms about the way this 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 went down. But I got to tell you, beyond the, the politics can change fifteen times before we get there. But anything that disrupts this arc that the Republicans run, I'm sure they can't be. Very happy about that's why they're talking well, about they, the, this is why they keep talking about the leak and rather talking about the substance right. of it. the substance. You, you mentioned uh, Reagan. You mentioned Trump. Let's uh, get back in the time machine. It was the San Francisco Cow Palace and his Ronald Reagan giving the nominating speech along with John Wayne for Barry Goldwater. Now, Barry Goldwater was a libertarian. He was not what people may. He was not a cultural crusader in any way, shape or form. Right. He's a total libertarian. Ronald Reagan then gets elected governor of the state of California. First bill he signs is the abortion bill. First bill he signs. Second bill, he raised the taxes. Everybody forgets that because now he's running for president. You want to get the Republican nomination. You battled Jerry Ford. Then you won the Republican nomination. And then Jerry Ford says, I'll be your co-president. He says, oofah. They go to uh, Bush, Bush 41. I know you're pro-choice. You got 24 hours. This was in Detroit. Yep. 24 hours to become pro-life. He had an epiphany. He became pro-life. Donald Trump was pro-choice. He became pro-life. Shamu El Jefe, Chris Christie, was pro-choice. He became pro-life. When you're running for the presidency of the United States as a Republican, it's the litmus test. In fact, remember, Bush wanted Ridge uh, from Pennsylvania to be his vice president candidate. And the Republicans said, no, he's pro-choice. You can't have him. He went on to become uh, the national uh, head of national security after uh, 9-11. But that was the litmus test. So when I hear all these battles back and forth, back and forth, I say, and when they cite the people, I said, do you realize they were originally pro-choice? And then all of a sudden they made a tactical political decision to become pro-life. And boy, they went into it lock, stock, and barrel. And many of them say, well, you know, I, I had a ch- change of heart, whatever. But I remember what, where they were when they were first making their bones politically. And then all of a sudden when it dawned on them that it's the only way for me what? to be considered seriously for the Republican right. nomination. Right, it's the only way to win a primary in the Republican Party. But the, here's the thing, and I think they also, they, the Republican Party, made this calculation. That this is one of those process arguments, Right. That it, that you have to make a decision as a voter. Well, if I vote for Hillary Clinton, then she will support a Supreme Court justice that will then keep Roe v. Wade. And I think they correctly assessed that that's not the way voters really think very much. It's not a very persuasive argument. The difference today, as you and I sit here, Curtis, is it's no longer a process argument. This major important issue is now taken away. Someone just lost something. And half the population was impacted by the actions of the Supreme Court. Not, you know, and if and imagine how the demographics of the country view this. If you are a younger woman voter, whether you're conservative yesterday or today or not, you have always included this is one of my rights. I've had it for 50 years. I know nothing else. And demographically speaking, I, you, the Republicans are at the wrong side of this argument, the way it's cutting. The question is, today as we sit here, is there enough since the, the Republicans are so far ahead in so many of the, the metrics? I think this this could be a big issue. 
But the politics of it are one thing. I am still, if you heard me this morning, I am really, it really saddens me on the substance of it. But I'm glad we get a chance to talk about it. Left versus right here with you, Curtis. It doesn't seem left versus right with us. It's kind of no. like down the middle with left uh, with Curtis and no, Anthony look, or something. Uh, I never forget. I remember where they were originally. And when they had their epiphany, I said, yeah. wait, Reagan. You signed in the abortion laws, governor of California. Now all of a sudden you're a big holy roller. Never went to church. Never was religious. Oh, you can't fool me. But then again, people get fooled all the time in politics. Anyway, if you miss any section of the show that Anthony was referring to, his first hour, where it's just Anthony Weiner, a lot of Roe v. Wade. Just go to the podcast and all the great podcasts here at WABC, WABCradio.com. That's WABCradio.com. And I'll catch up with you tonight starting at midnight as I roll to 6 in the morning. Happy Mother's Day, Mom.